0: everyone, welcome back to Through the Eyes of a Therapist. I am your host, Crystal Martinez Acosta. I'm a licensed professional counselor in Texas, and this podcast is all about mental health. Today I will be interviewing my best friend, Dr. Michelle Medina. She is an occupational therapist. She'll be giving us some important insight. On her profession and how it differs from physical therapy, she'll give us her expert opinion on what she thinks about children using too many electronics. And she'll give us a little glimpse into how she integrates occupational therapy concepts into her home life. michelle and she's right here in front of me this is not a phone interview how about you tell us a little bit about yourself well
1: thank you crystal that's a wonderful opening for occupational therapy Uh, we don't often have an opportunity to explain
0: who we are and what we do so let's say like i'm the average person i don't know what ot is like i know what pts are and i don't know if you get this a lot but you're like oh so p so physical therapist and it's like no, <laughs> it's an occupational therapist. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know, I get about, Oh, we get that all the time. <laughs> okay, I'm like, I get that all the time too, but with social work. I mean, nothing against social workers, some social workers, but I'm like, no, like I'm not a social worker, I'm a therapist. Technically, I'm a, I am ai could be classified as a social worker because I'm doing social work, but not all social workers are therapists, so... It's not like not every square is a rectangle, but every rectangle is a square, or whatever yes, that you have is. have your own identity, your own Yeah. Philosophy. I'm sorry. I went on and on <laughs> about that, but I can relate. So, an OT is an occupational therapist, is not physical therapy. So, what is that?
1: So, we're, we're a holistic profession. We really take into consideration um, psychosocial aspects, physical aspects, um, the environment. Uh, the context that the person uh, is living within, so maybe the family, um, the environment that they're around. So we really take all of these, these factors that affect the person and we uh, help them be as independent as they can at whatever stage of life they're in. Uh, we use activity to help people regain function. Uh, and so we use crafts, we use... And so, I mean, OT was really like me in a profession... <laughs>
0: yeah that's true Uh, and we i toured
1: i did a like a program where they would show you different medical professions Uh and i I went around thomason hospital uh and when we went to the pediatric portable that they had for therapy and they described what occupational therapy was my my heart jumped like when you fall in love Uh like when they say that you fall in love Uh and it just kind of stayed there And I thought that I, after that, I thought I want to be a doctor, but then I came back and came back around to therapy. As occupational therapists, we focus on self-care. We would focus on, um, we call them ADLs, so activities of daily living. And then we also work a lot with instrumental activities of daily living. So for ADLs, it would be getting dressed. Mm -hmm. Um, For uh, advanced uh, or uh, the instrumental activities of daily living, it might be Uh, Doing meal planning, uh, something a little bit more uh, complex that you might have to do for yourself and for someone else. Okay. So basically the things that we do on a daily basis that we kind of take for granted, get up, get out of bed, uh, take a shower, those are the things that might be affected when you have a traumatic injury. So it could be that they were born with a developmental delay developmental problem. Um, It could be that they are developing normally, but then they have an accident and they lose uh, the function of their legs. And so they have to learn how to do things in an adapted way. So maybe they're using a wheelchair. Uh, Maybe um, they are older, a little bit older, and they have a stroke. And so they have lived their entire life um, being a typically functioning person, and then all of a sudden they have to learn how to do things with only one side of their body. Mm -hmm. so we're working with people at any stage of life, and we're focused on helping them to lead meaningful lives.
0: So it sounds like you work with a large variety of people, so it can be anybody uh, really in any developmental stage, so it sounds like infants, babies, right, and then also all the way to somebody who's elderly, and it doesn't have to just be somebody who is Injured or has experienced an injury is from what I understand.
1: Correct. That's usually the avenue that we're going to access our clients through the medical model. Uh, So usually it's in a hospital setting or a rehab clinic. But more and more, uh, our focus is trying to reach people kind of where they are. Uh, So for children, um, one prime example is called Early Childhood Intervention, ECI. And those services can be done wherever the child is, in the park with the parent, uh, at the home, um, the natural environment. Um, But referrals usually come in through physician, a parent, uh, somebody who works with the child and maybe starts to see that there's a developmental problem or just has a question about, is this normal for my child? Um, They might then reach out to somebody in early childhood intervention and then a therapist would do an evaluation. And then they might recommend services to help the child reach their developmental level so that they're where they need to be once they enter school, Um, both for personal tasks like self-care, so being able to brush their teeth or uh, get dressed, and then, of of course, for things when they get into school, so being able to sit at the desk to be able to learn, to have that attention, um, to be able to use their their grasp to hold a pencil. Uh, Of course, those are...
0: Parts of activities, but they're going to be crucial for everything that they need to do. When do you think it is that people start to notice these things and they're like, hmm, we need to get a specialist here to understand, assess, and then also help them catch up? So the
1: primary uh, care physicians or the pediatricians have uh, scales to assess development. So every time you take your baby in, they're asking about, are they reaching these milestones? And so... Pretty early on, you might start to see that some some milestones aren't being reached. Maybe the baby's not reaching forward, they're not rolling, they're not making eye contact. Uh, of course, right now there's um, a little bit more awareness about autism and some of those social aspects. Um, but those are things that, that most um, doctor's offices now are you know, just including in your entry level paperwork is looking at these things that are should be de- developmentally appropriate, and so then you start to see some red flags, and then the physician might refer out to therapy, might mm-hmm. recommend for the patient to seek out more services. Uh, if if that's not happening, if maybe the parent wasn't concerned and they didn't mark it on the the questionnaires, then it might be through somebody else out in the community. Maybe they're participating in a program, and somebody expresses concern about how the child is uh behaving or um something that they're not doing that they are seeing among the peers maybe in a daycare setting um so really it could be from any avenue uh the important thing is is just to maybe for parents to be receptive to to a teacher or uh, somebody in you know that's that's noticing this um this milestone that's not happening because uh speaking from my personal experience when you're a first-time parent, you don't necessarily know what's normal. Even for someone like me who studied normal development, uh, you a lot. There's so much that kind of get flooded with that you you know you're surprised by a lot of it, even mm-hmm. though you should know that it's happening.
0: So, what's sad? I don't know if it's sad or if it's good. I feel kind of privileged to know you, of course, right? But what's cool is that, like, sometimes I have to explain occupational therapy to people. I don't know if I get the definition quite right, but I understand that there's some intervention there that I can't do. Like, it's not in my scope of practice. And so I noticed something about the kid that might be... A little bit different than what other kids are doing. And so I'm like, hmm, this is interesting, but it's not something that's like I can do, that I can address with like talk therapy or even play therapy. Maybe play therapy, but maybe not. But then I'm not a specialist in play therapy because there's people who do that specifically. But it's um, more like functional stuff because they've already been to their pediatrician, their pediatrician referred them to me because it's like, help me with his behavior. And then we've done like behavioral interventions, right? Like parent-child interaction therapy and stuff like that. And it'll fix some of the problem, but it doesn't address something else that's missing. Like something's missing and I can't address it because it's not something that I do, right? And I think OT fits in really well um, in terms
1: of being able to see the the whole child. So we're a really holistic profession, and that we look at um, the like social psychosocial aspects, the the kind of medical aspects. So we see maybe it's a physical impairment that initially gets a child into our clinic, but then we see okay, there's also some some issues that they're having with relating to their parents, relating to other children, and so maybe that's where like you would intervene. Um, and then we we are taking this information in and of course that that might affect their development right that affects their opportunities to play so if they're not able to relate to other kids maybe they're not having opportunities to throw a ball to another child uh so maybe they're not developing their gross motor skills uh and then that might affect their ability to really to fine tune their fine motor skills Mm -hmm. um and so it, it it's really important that we do look at the child as this whole person and not just a person, but a person within a context. And that's a a unique, I guess, scope of OT that we are kind of generalists um, and that we can take all these little pieces and really see... Okay, what? How is it affecting your functioning?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and what can we do to make it better? So, adapting environments is something that we really focus on, mm-hmm. um, so that this child, in this case, um, could be successful in school. At home, you know, at home it might be being able to do their self care. At school, it might be being able to do their schoolwork or be attentive. Mm-hmm. Um, even being able to ride the bus. Uh, those, those are all, you know, facets that. That might get overlooked if you were just going into medical intervention or just the uh, counseling intervention. So, mm-hmm. I think there's definitely a, a role for us. The good thing is that programs like early childhood inter- intervention are uh, usually free of charge. Uh, I believe they're all free of charge. Um, and a lot of times, uh, it's something that is going to, you know, making it intervening early on is going to make a difference throughout. The rest of their lives so it's really important for them to get that early access to services
0: right yeah so early intervention is really important at least when we notice it in children right I
1: will give a little background on myself uh, I did get my master's in occupational therapy here at UTEP in El Paso and then I went on to get a clinical doctorate of occupational therapy with the goal of becoming a professor at a university level mm-hmm. and so I've had the opportunity to do that um, in San Antonio at Alamo colleges um, but since then, we've moved and uh, I have a new baby. And so uh, I really do get a lot of practice <laughs> with my parenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one of the ways that I, I guess, can tie that back to occupational therapy is the fact that you have an opportunity, a unique opportunity as a parent um, to be listening, observing, and helping your child grow and be as independent as they can be. Um, That's one of the main tenets of our profession is, you know, promoting independence. Um, So for my little one who's three years old, one of the, the main things that I try to help her with is giving her opportunities. So giving her access to a little pitcher of water and a cup and giving her access to a little box of tools uh, that includes scissors and her own spoons and forks that she can bring to the table. And uh, with the example of the scissors, uh, now whenever she gets something that comes in a package, she automatically runs to the kitchen goes to get her scissors and snips off the top. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that could be for better or worse because she just has
0: <laughs> clear access to yeah. snacks. But at least clear access access to snacks is like the more important part. I'm thinking I'm like, oh my God, a little girl with scissors, right? But um I'm sure that there's a method behind your technique there.
1: For letting yes. her I'm, have and scissors. You know, as uh you know, with great power comes great responsibility. So, of course, when children in therapy are learning to use scissors, we're excited, maybe as therapists, because they're reaching a goal. They met one of their goals. Uh, but then, of course, that also comes with a disclaimer of, you know, telling the parents, okay, well, you might have to limit access to these scissors. <laughs> yeah. At our house, we've kind of gained, you know, this this trust between us that I, you know, she has an, an understanding of what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Um, but... I really want her to be as independent as she can be because I feel like that helps her with her you know sense of self worth um, her sense of Belonging in our family, so she for the last year has had a job and after we're done with our meals She Mm -hmm. takes her plate and throws it in the sink Mm -hmm. um, Or her spoon before when she couldn't carry the plate and and I feel like that helps her kind of connect back with our family like she has a role to play and We are a team and and we talk about that a lot Mm -hmm. We talk about us being one team and that we need to work together to accomplish Accomplish, you know, whatever it is that we're doing whether it's cleaning up after dinner or going on a long road trip like we did here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That we're all in it together and we can really help each other.
0: Yeah, like so, her as a whole little person has her job and her role. And so, you bring that out in her by giving her certain responsibilities and certain tools and a certain level of trust that, you know, you have this now, you have this job or you have this role. And so, we just trust that you're going to fulfill it. And we're going to fulfill ours and we all work as a team. So even though you're independent because you've been taught something at an early age that you can do on your own, it still comes back to um, the collective, right? So like the, the family. And so she contributes in that way. So, it adds meaning to her life and purpose. And it, oh man, that's so deep. Who knew that like (laughs) giving a three year old scissors (laughs) would do so much? Um, Yeah, so if you're thinking about giving your three year old scissors, please consult with an occupational (laughs) therapist first. Like, don't just go do that. Like, we gave you advice or something. Um, Yeah, okay, so that's cool. So, you're seeing how you can apply your um, view and the way you all, as OTs, Uh, conceptualize a child as a whole person, and you're using that to parent your children.
1: Yes. I, I mean, I really consider myself a lifelong learner, and diving into parenthood really has made me seek out even more resources. So... My background was one one huge uh, thing that kind of molded my perspective. But then from there, you know, I've also tried to like take in as much as I can as things arise. Uh, and so I would, say but I would say that overall the theme is is fostering independence, and uh, adapting and prepare uh, adapting the environment and also preparing the environment. So we do a lot of cooking together. Um, she's responsible for. Choosing her clothes, and if you saw her on any given day, you would know that because yeah, she chose it. Yeah, because things don't match, and um, and it's it's kind of beautiful in its own
0: <laughs> in its own well, way. Yeah, I mean, like I, I think adults are weird because <laughs> oh man, it's weird because okay, so a little background first. The thing that made me think of this is how before I like could not handle like the idea of children like. Uh, you, if you were to have told me maybe 10 years ago, like, you're going to be working in a clinic with a bunch of children every day, I'd be like, hell no, right? Like, I'd be like, no, because I couldn't understand the way they communicated or, like, how profound some of the things that they do are. Like, every, they communicate with everything, right? Like, their behavior and their play and everything. And so I've found over time that it's way easier, at least for me, to treat Kids instead of adults. Oh, wow. And so now, instead of me like, oh, like my dream was like, okay, I'm going to like be a therapist. I'm going to help adults everywhere, right? Like, no, (laughs) that's not (laughs) what's happening. Uh, I see a lot of kids. And so I think what's interesting is that adults have lost a sense of play, one. Two, they expect kids to respond like adults, like little adults. It's like, no, they're children, and they're people, and they're young, very small, like inexperienced people, but they're communicating with us, so, like, don't push it, right? And so I think what's cool about what your daughter does when she chooses her clothes is that you're letting her... Because I think kids get told what to do every day, all the time. I think there's this study um, in parent-child interaction therapy that talks about the average preschooler gets, like, 2,000-plus commands per day or something like that. Like, go sit, do this, sit down, grab your pencil like this. What's 2 plus 2? Like, do... Okay, that's a question. But, like, (laughs) answer this question. Sit here. Line up. Put your hands behind your back. Like, thousands of commands, right, every day. So they come home from school after all those commands, and then there's more commands, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do they ever find a time to find themselves or understand what they're doing in the world or understand how to figure out problems by themselves instead of being fed the answer by an adult or something. I Mm -hmm. think that's a little scary. So I think that it's cool that you're letting your daughter do that because I truly think that's super important. Like, I'll get parents sometimes, even with teenagers, and they'll come in and they'll be like... I told him to clean up the living room, and it's a freaking mess still. Like, they didn't do it right. And I'm like, okay, wait, like, what do you mean? Like, tell me a little more. And they'll say, like, well, I told him to clean the living room. Okay, what did he do? Well, he cleaned it, but he didn't do it right. What do you mean by that? Well, he forgot to pick up two cups. Okay, so he cleaned it, but he didn't do it, like, the way you wanted to do it? Because... The rest of it is clean, except for those two cups. So, like, what are you talking about? And they're like, ah, and they get all frustrated with me because <laughs> I'm like, well, one, either be specific with your command, or if you're going to give them free reign to, like, clean your room or clean this, you have to just kind of, like, live with that <laughs> and, like, let it go, you know? And I think parents are like, eh, like, controlling. And so it's, it's refreshing to... <laughs> Interact with a parent that is not obsessed with, like, oh, that doesn't match, and oh my god, you know, like, just the little things, because it's, like, really, the clothes uh, don't match, but that's okay.
1: One one kind of funny example is going to library story times, and uh, you have craft activities that usually come after the stories. Oh, yeah. And then you have the moms or grandmas really trying to make this perfect a uh, craft that looks just like the example that
0: the they prepared oh for God. you, <laughs> yeah.
1: and so they're very proud of it when they walk out. But the child had
0: nothing to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. um, exactly. where you know
1: really I, when when we're in that situation, you know, I, I really try to give her the opportunity to work with the materials because that's what helps develop their fine motor skills or uh, their ability to take turns and all those little essential skills that. Uh, we kind of take for granted because we have learned them so long ago and we incorporate them into everything we do without thinking about it.
0: Yeah, we just take it for granted. Like, we're just, we just do it automatically. But these kids, they're learning how to do it little by little. And the best way to teach them is, it sounds like it's like immersion. Like, just try it. Like, do yes. It.
1: And for them, everything is uh, just the natural environment is so. Uh, so educational uh, playing uh, every opportunity in play is is that's what they need to do they need to be able to you know handle materials they need to be able to take ter- you know learn to take turns or um, you know learn to use use materials in creative ways not to just have you know everything like uh, really specific toys that tell them exactly how to play with it but you know some open-ended things that allow them to explore the you know the tools or the,
0: the space that they have. Mm-hmm. I know for sure, like, in play therapy or, like, parent-child interaction therapy, there's an approved list of toys and then, like, toys that you should not use without a lot of limit-setting. Like, board games, is that's, like, limit-setting. Oh, my God, and tablets, Jesus. Like, we're, I don't even want to go there right now because what is an occupational... Ther- this is not on the question list, but, like, what do occupational therapists say about infants, basically, like on tablets all freaking day long. Like, that has to be unhealthy for people, right? Like, oh, I mean, definitely. So, the
1: there's recommendations from uh, the medical associations about, you know, no screen time under two. I, I don't know if that's changed now, but uh, I know that there is there's some confusion because they they come up with such educational apps and you know these these different resources that it's like oh it would be great for the kids and people think oh you know it's going to develop their fine motor skills and quite you know quite possibly they could be used for good but they could also be abused and overused and and then there it leads to other problems so problems with you know when you're using a tablet or a phone you know you're looking down you're straining your neck and for little ones who are starting this so early on. I mean, you could really lead to kind of some lifelong or more chronic problems. Or even, you know, problems with uh, their thumbs if they're, you know, using the screen, the, the iPhones and, um, I sound like an old person now. <laughs>
0: like them iPhones, but, them gadgets. But, you know, whether they're playing a game <laughs> or,
1: like, over yeah. you know, texting, uh-huh. um, I, I think there's going to be a lot more problems in the future related to just overuse injuries or maybe arthritis, uh, and younger people that maybe we didn't see until, you know, older, older adults, um. So I think that there's a problem there with the kind of like musculoskeletal issues, uh, but also just the overuse of educational quote-unquote uh, apps and activities uh, because I think that they can, you know, um, iPads can be used and sometimes are very helpful for uh, certain populations, maybe with children with autism it, that you can use um, pictures and picture schedules. Or for some kiddos, it might be helpful to have some haps that you know have them use their like a certain, uh, promote a certain grasp or isolate a finger to work on finger dexterity. Um, but again, those could be over easily overused, and then it's too easy for children to get addicted and, and used to the screen time.
0: And probably because I get that question a lot um, like, am I is my kid using? tablets too much and i'm like why these new gadgets <laughs> like you shouldn't even let them be touching them whatever i mean we all have one but i think like anything uh should take it in
1: moderation even going back to like further back further back into uh being an infant and having opportunities to crawl that's going to set you up for you know being able to use your hands for handwriting and then you're going to need that as you move into university and have to keep up with you know writing notes um of course that that of course could also be like handed off to digital or you know typing in a laptop but there's definitely there was a purpose for it
0: yeah for other things so maybe like the muscles that we use or the you know that motion that we use to write right for example isn't just used for writing or it's not helpful to or it is helpful to To have that skill because it helps you with other skills or you can apply it to other things. So I just wanted your opinion on that because (laughs) I was like, there has to be an opinion. Like, I think, I don't know if that's healthy or not, but it makes sense because even like adults, right? If we sit at a desk for a really long time or we're typing for a really long time, we start to feel certain muscles starting to give out or like achiness or soreness. So like for us... There's also that kind of hazard, I guess. Like if we do that too much. Yeah,
1: definitely, the poor posture can lead to to injuries, especially, you know, for somebody who spends most of their day at a desk and is you know hunched over their you know computer or laptop. Um, at least with a computer, a desktop, you can set it up a little bit more uh, ergonomically. So maybe you are your eyes are like in line with your screen where you need to be reading, mm-hmm. versus a laptop that you just kind of open it up and you have to be. Uh, you know, kind straining of like your neck forward. And, yeah. and there's, you know, there's pressure. There's the weight of your head. <laughs> <laughs> your head has weight and your neck has to hold it up. Yeah. Yes. And, and so, I mean, definitely that, that overuse uh, as it affects children who are much younger. Uh, we're going to see problems with that later, later down the road.
0: Okay. So we were talking a little bit earlier about the concept of um, being a team. And how you are raising your daughters to be part of a team and how that's important for their development. Um, Can you tell us a little more about that?
1: Yes, I wanted to share a little bit about what it was like to be a brand new parent And uh, So those first nights when you're getting very minimal sleep because your baby is waking up so often to feed. And I was exclusively breastfeeding my daughter. So she would wake up and feed for a long time, which may or may not be the experience of everyone because my second daughter now feeds pretty quickly. Um, But it was a lot of sleep deprivation and also a huge learning curve on breastfeeding. And so I feel like a really helpful perspective, something that really helped me to cope as a a new parent was having this concept of um, that we need each other. And so she needed me to feed her and I needed her to relieve me because... Uh, As your milk starts to come in, um, you have pressure in your breasts, and that pressure is relieved when your child uh, takes the milk. Mm -hmm. So it feeds them, and it helps you, and you need each other. Yeah. (laughs) And so that would get me through some of those really hard initial nights. Mm. And then things change, and, and your child... know starts achieving these milestones and they crawl and they walk and they become more independent and and you still you you need each other um they give you so many opportunities to continue to
0: grow i think development is really intricate and something that i've heard even though parents that come to me by the time they come to a therapist they're kind of at their wits end right they're like oh my god help me like i don't know what's going on with my child um but something I do hear from almost every parent that comes to me is, like, I learn something new every day. And I'm, like, interesting. So, like, there's always these funky stories or, like, really funny, interesting stories that happen to parents. And so it's not all bad, right? Like, there are things that... Oh, definitely. That, yeah, that I, I would good. be...
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a a, a champion of um, just, like, po- like, that positive perspective, that cognitive reframing you were talking about. Because... I mean, you could really go kind of cynical route on parenting there's a lot definitely a huge influence uh, on that in the media and you know just a lot of people that you'll find around you but um i one thing I, I never i never or I always refused to do was to kind of take on these things that people would talk about like terrible twos well i I just never expected to go through that, and it's not that we don't have tantrums and we don't have you know issues but um, Like you were talking about earlier, this is like a tiny person that doesn't have practice with handling these strong feelings, and so it's the most natural thing for her to be able to express them, and for us to learn how to help her through it.
0: Yeah, yeah, like it, it gives me kind of like, I don't even know what the English word is, but like lastima, like when I hear about, um, like mom's like, I'm so embarrassed because they threw a tantrum in the store, and I'm like... But, how else was he supposed to say that he was tired and frustrated he's three, you know like yes. he's not going to be like, excuse me ma'am pardon pardon me, ma'am, with like a really you know fine accent, like has gone to acting class and stuff, and has been like, ma'am, pardon me, but I am." Famished, and I you know like what do you expect him to do? He's gonna cry, he's upset, yeah. yeah, so it's like, oh man, you know, like he's just communicating with you, but they're like, Oh my God, my kid is terrible, or whatever, so you're right, it could quickly turn into a cynical spiral of negative thoughts, and it almost just it continues feeding,
1: yes and and so I think that one of the things that's been helpful from the parenting side of it is. Um, just having some boundaries on, okay, this is something that, uh, maybe setting up time where, okay, this is just time that I need to be able to take for myself, so that I can be prepared to handle those hard moments that don't make any sense.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Like, what is this, and why (laughs) is this happening? (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. and so uh, for me, that's been um, just maybe sometimes, you know, going upstairs and saying, okay, I, I just need to shower and not have to Tend to someone right now. I just need some moments, and usually it's not very long uh, that I, you know, a long, long time that you need. But you can come back and be prepared to handle whatever it is that they throw at you. Yeah, um, yeah. and and other times it's. Um, You know, just being able to do something that you used to do when you, you know, weren't responsible for these little humans. Uh, So for me, I find myself going back to the kitchen and maybe preparing something for them, but just having some time to let my mind kind of be at ease and and not have to be responsible
0: for someone. (laughs) Yeah, it's exhausting. I think for me, and I've talked to you about this before, I'm like frightened to have children because I hear not only like from other people or other like new moms and stuff and they talk to me about like oh terrible twos or like oh my god I lost all the sleep in the world and I'm a zombie or whatever and I'm like oh my god (laughs) I really I value sleep so much you know and I'm like nope nope not gonna have I'm gonna do what I can and be resource as resourceful as I can if I have a kid so it's not gonna like end up like this disaster right or like I just think people catastrophize way too much they just like over exaggerate and I'm like please you know I was listening to I don't know what what it was the other day I think it was another podcast or something I can't remember but it was like this mom talking about like how the daughter like pooped in the car, and, like, it was just, like, she started (laughs) flinging it everywhere, and it was, like, I don't know what the hell I got myself into, and I'm, like, dude, like, but she's really little, you know, like, I'm kind of trying to find the little, like, I guess, accurate... Uh, thought there or the accurate information. It's like, okay, she's two. Like, she was probably <laughs> losing her shit. Like, literally, oh my God. Yes. And yeah, so I just, I think, I don't know why people do that. It's just, it's not helpful. Yeah, I can't the
1: impending doom philosophy. Whether you are pregnant and people are telling you, oh, just wait till you have that baby, or oh you know, you have God. the baby and then they're like, oh, wait till the terrible twos. Like, there's always something around the corner. And so you really have to just. Put your foot down and say no. No, like, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, and 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 do what's right for your family. So for us, it's been really that that team concept and and fostering independence. And I mean, my daughter really she is very assertive and she <laughs> yeah, run, she cute. takes that independence and she runs with it. And uh, for all the hard times that you you know go through when you're trying to like help and form them into healthy little people. Um, it's kind of amazing to have that moment where once I had shown her, you know, how you use those scissors, uh, to go back to that example. Then the next time that she had a package and it just kind of you you saw it light up in her eyes, like I know what to do with this, and she mm-hmm. ran to get her tool, mm-hmm. and and then did what she needed to do. And so you have a million moments of. Um, like like wow moments of new experiences that they, they you get to live through them. You know, they, they have this excitement of this is the first time I've ever
0: done this. And so that's kind of beautiful. I like it when, even when I'm treating my clients and then they make these connections or they say just this hilarious stuff and I'm like, oh my God, where did you get that? You know, and it's like, it's so funny. Yeah, I like working with kids. It's really funny. <laughs> They're hilarious. I had this little kid once was like, what do you think I am, a half-wit? I'm like, you're like two, (laughs) where'd you get that word, first of all, but man, they're soaking everything up all the time, (laughs) little sponges like, you know, soaking up all the things.
1: Um, I think something else that was this huge kind of hurdle early on was our breastfeeding experience and then maybe not finding a lot of support um, in my family. And uh maybe the perspective of thinking that I needed support from other people, but really just um, kind of, after having experienced it now knowing that I just needed to do what was right for myself uh, and for my baby right and and just kind of letting everybody have whatever opinion they were gonna have and and just taking care of my child uh, and I, I think a lot of moms experience um, backlash or... Now there's more support groups on Facebook and things like that and, and I did seek out help through a support group uh, online and that was really helpful just to hear other experiences of people that were going through the same thing. Um, I definitely, you know, I think that whatever boundaries or whatever resources that you have to have to get for yourself as a new parent... Um, you know it's definitely a community thing if you have family around you or friends around you that you can seek support from mm-hmm. uh, if you need a therapist to be able to talk to and to work you know work through some of those things I know um, for me the, the thing where I needed to really kind of work through was, was a breastfeeding issue and so it really helped to be able to talk that out and, and, and kind of reframe my own ideas about what sort of support I needed.
0: <laughs> yeah I think that's important because what I tell Mike my- families when they come in is that if mom's okay or dad's okay who are the caregivers they're okay then the kids are going to be okay because i think if moms are all over here like all high strung and like freaking out about stuff i i truly think that kids can sense that on some level and i think that the consequences and the behavior that come from mom because of her stress end up impacting the kids in some way And it's usually not a positive thing. And so, yeah, if you have to get help, then you should. I have interacted with moms that are, like, really ashamed of or don't want to ask for help because they're like, oh, no, I don't want to, like, burden people or I'm embarrassed or I don't want to, I want to make people think, I guess they want to put up a front or something to show that they can handle it. But that's not helpful all the time. Like, you do need some assistance in some... Areas, Right? So, like, what would you say to maybe a parent that is struggling with that?
1: Yeah, I think parenting can sometimes be very isolating because you used to go into the social world, you used to get ready every day, put on makeup, maybe. I never really did. But a lot of, you know, um, a lot of the people I know that became moms, maybe that's something that they kind of left behind. I think that definitely whatever support system you used to have might be changed uh, in some way. So you need to find new new resources um, And and not take on that burden by yourself. So even if you do have a partner Sometimes maybe the mom is not communicating with the partner about exactly what they need or the kind of support they need Um, So I would say that maybe just take time to think about what it is that you like specifically need So in my situation to give a concrete example Um, It was asking my husband to kind of come and sit with me when everybody else left the room when I started feeding my baby.
0: Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: So that was something that just kind of made me feel like I was still part of the family Mm -hmm. Uh, and made me just feel a little bit more comfortable. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a big thing, and he was happy to do it and didn't realize that
0: I needed that or, you know, maybe... Um, like, he didn't read your mind and was like, yes, oh, exactly. I should stay with her. Yeah, so That's sometimes yeah. that
1: support it is, you know, just available from your partner. You just need to be very specific. And other times it's, you know, taking out a family member or a friend who's, you know, more than happy to to mm-hmm. come and maybe give you a little break while you do go and take a shower. Or
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, maybe you buddy up with somebody and then you go do your activity with your kids. And that way you can take turns watching each other's kids
0: while... You know, one of them runs to the bathroom with a toddler. Yeah, and then giving people, if you are asking for help, asking for concrete, specific things, it sounds like is more helpful. So you telling your husband, like, I need you to be in the room with me while I'm breastfeeding versus like, why don't you support me? Right? And it's like, what does that mean? (laughs) That's a big word, right? So giving him like a concrete way to right here when I give you the signal like you come here and that's very clear and specific and he can do it so that's probably another thing yeah I think communication is important and the way you communicate it is important too so that's yeah it's good advice this is so great this is like gold I feel like I need to like charge for this podcast because I can charge for podcasts now, and I'm like, premium content. <laughs> okay, Michelle, it sounds like we're getting close to the end of the interview, and I just wanted to see if you have any last thoughts.
1: We were in school uh, at some point in, in the master's program. We had a class with the physical therapist, and, and there was one professor that was just getting to know us, and he asked us, Well, what do you want to do with this degree? And I said, I wanted to get my doctorate, and I wanted to be a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and when when I would say that people would kind of laugh at me but I mean it really is the it's it's a dream come true and I think some moms kind of lose that oh I went to school all these years and now I'm staying at home or now you know I can't work the way that I wanted to but for me it was kind of part of the plan and I feel really blessed that I do get to stay at home with them and that hopefully you know when I'm ready I will be able to re enter and kind of take my place with what I've learned with my, my girls. So I can see myself maybe doing early childhood intervention and
0: mm-hmm.
1: maybe encouraging moms that are, you know, with their little ones and helping them to promote their their baby's development and reach their milestones and
0: Yeah. From a
1: new perspective of being a parent and a therapist, mm-hmm. and being able to kinda of combine those things.
0: Well, Dr. Medina, I want to say I'm very proud of you. I grew up with you. Basically, we've known each other for a really long time, and I just really thank you so much for spending some time with me here in El Paso and for agreeing to this interview. If you have any lingering questions for Dr. Michelle Medina, you can contact me on my podcast page, which is www.wondercounselor.podbean.com. Thanks for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist.